We're headed to John 21. Let me tell you, when I was growing up in central Minnesota, sometimes it didn't feel like everybody was there. Sometimes, by the way, the ushers are moving through the auditorium. If you don't have sermon notes, they're going to give those to you. So just raise your hand as you head to John 21. In Minnesota, there was um, some times that all of a sudden things weren't quite the way we expected. For instance, we lived about 12 miles from a spot where we would get our parts for the garage that I worked in, where my dad owned the business. And there, all of a sudden, we would, um, we would come up to a, working on a car and we need a part. We'd call into this business place, this auto supply store, and we'd say, hey, listen, we need to pick up a part. Do you have it there? Yeah, we'll, we'll come and get it here you know, shortly. And it happened a few times, you know, that we would have to run as quick as we could those 13 miles, 12, 13 miles, and then come back so we could keep on repairing. And I remember a couple times going into Little Falls, and we would find on the door of the business by the time we got there this sign. And you'd say, well, how could they do that? There was a day when people would do that. They would just, in the middle of the afternoon, they would close up shop. You're living in the land of 10,000 lakes. You know, spring is calling. And all of a sudden, you would expect to go to the grocery store, and you find out, oh, well, they closed for the afternoon because they just decided to go fishing. Aren't you glad God doesn't just post a sign that says, gone fishing, you know, when you're ready to pray? Well, sometimes it's not God that does it. Sometimes it's us. And that's exactly what happens in John chapter 21. In John 21, the disciples are a few days after the resurrection. And what's happening is they are, def- they are befuddled. They're kind of confused. They aren't sure exactly what's going on. They know that he's resurrected. He's met with them in the upper room. We talked about that this morning. And they're kind of impatient. They aren't sure what to do. Should we just kind of wait here? He's told me we'll meet him in Galilee. He's told me he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. But there's this 50-day in between. And they're just the type of people like some of you okay? Actually, I'm pointing at you and it's me. Where even standing, I noticed this the other day, we're up at Hershey making a visit at the, at the medical center, and I found myself, Deb is here, we're waiting at the door, and I found myself doing this while I'm waiting for the elevator in the hallway, just going in circles, and she's just watching, you know, just patiently watching, and then I realized the other people are patiently watching as well. That, that impatience, just kind of, I'm not sure what to do, and I just got to do something. That's the disciples in John 21. They've got to do something. You know, they're the type of personality that says, okay, I just can't kind of sit still and know that I am God. I can do that while I'm busy. Okay, I can just keep on moving. I mean, some people, they, they can't talk without moving their hands. Okay, some people can't talk without moving, period. Okay, that's, I'm going to really try this and it's not going to work. Okay, the disciples are like that. And so they're not sure what to do and they decide, Peter says to him, look at John 21, look at the story. All of a sudden he says to his friends, he says, and after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, and it gets the setting. It says, there were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of the disciples. And Simon Peter says, hey guys, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fishing. They said, okay, we'll go with you. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught, what's your Bible read? They got nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus calls out to them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you'll find. 
The cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw in the net for the multitude of the fishes. Therefore, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put upon himself the cloak, for he was naked or basically in his grundies, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, and they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus said, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land. He's going to lend a hand now. Full of great fishes. And they remembered there was 153 of these big fish. And for all, they were so many, yet the net was not broken. And Jesus says, Come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Then comes and takes the bread and gives it to them and the fish likewise. This is the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Taking that story, can I make some observations about life, us and life, and our relationship with God? And some challenges from just this, this historical account of what happened to them, and just draw and say, okay, post-resurrection, after all the exciting things, when all of a sudden there is still some confusion, not sure what to do, keep this in mind. Keep these thoughts in mind. Number one, beware of life's interruptions. Beware of the things that distract, the things that can pull you away. For Peter and for his friends, it was fishing that all of a sudden they, they're distracted. Now, for some people, fishing is, is a really good thing. It's a really good thing. Now, you've heard the stories. You've ever visited down in Florida. You probably went in the museum, Edison's Museum, and you'll hear that he and Ford and, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, and Mr. Firestone, they went camping frequently. I didn't realize this, but Edison and Firestone, when they would go fishing with Ford, they wouldn't put bait on the hook. Okay, it wasn't that they were great fishermen. They weren't wanting to f- catch fish. They just wanted to do something that would just be a change of pace, a relaxing moment. So they just sat there with fishing rods in, in the water without... That just makes no sense to me. I mean, it, it's purposeful. You got to beat these fish. You got to conquer the fish, but not these guys. They were just, okay, we're going to go and we're just going to do something. Well, I'm like the Peter. If I'm going fishing, I want to catch something. I want to make sure it's profitable. And so I get a lesson out of this that good things in life, even things that aren't sinful, they can sometimes distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I remind you what we pointed out this morning. Jesus met with them on Easter Sunday Eve, and he says, you shall be what unto all nations? You shall be witnesses. Do you remember how he said it in John? He says, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Okay, they have a job. Their job is not to be fishermen. They gave that up like two and a half years ago. That they were, he said, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of... Yeah, they know it. They know that they've got this job. But they're in the in-between time. And they can't handle just waiting for the empowering. By the way, remember this morning in John chapter 20, he breathed on them and they had the Holy Spirit just in this interim period. Rather than that, that new covenant, Pentecost, he had already given them part of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't indwelling, but they had the Holy Spirit on them, even Easter Sunday evening. And so he's, he's dealing with them and they, they just impatient. They're just distracted. Is fishing evil? The answer is no. Is it wrong to try to provide for the family? No. But can something that is good distract us from that which is most important? It does. 
It does frequently. And so we remind ourselves, according to this account, fishing is not evil, but it wasn't their assigned goal. They, they say, okay, and part of the story is they are encouraged to get distracted, to be interrupted by their friends, by their fellow laborers. And they go out and they do it, and, you know, here they are, supposed to be witnesses. They're waiting, and they end up going fishing. The same thing can happen to us. Beware of life's interruptions. There's a reason why, okay? Because good people can be distracted by good things. Not the highest goal, but another good thing in life. And it happens to us all the time. Be careful. There's another reason why you have to be careful of life's interruptions. And that is because of this. Because such distractions often end in disappointment and emptiness. These guys are professionals. They go out fishing all night. And what do they get for their labors? Zero. Why? This isn't their job anymore. This isn't their most important thing. And it is true when Jesus says to them, he says, do you have any meat? They answer. Now, I would expect a different answer. If they were still persistent by morning time, they answer with just one simple word. What is it when he says, do you have any meat? Do you have any fish? No. They say, no. Me, if I were there and I was still going to continue and thinking this is something that, that hasn't frustrated me, but I'm gonna, I would say, not yet. But they obviously have come to the end of themselves. They are learning a lesson. The lesson is that here they are. When they went back to what they're not supposed to be doing, again, it's not evil for others, but for them it wasn't their assigned task. It wasn't their primary goal. All of a sudden, it's empty. And that is true in our life. When we get distracted, when we get caught up with the interruptions of life, it is easy for us to do that and then all of it, oh, okay, we can get distracted from the things of the Lord by little things like cars, houses, bank accounts, entertainment, sports. It can happen to us. And if we get involved with that to the point that it's distracting us and it's pulling us away, the interrupting from our real service to the Lord, then what happens? Emptiness. Emptiness. It's not going to be fulfilling. Even if you're an expert in this field, God can shut the doors of peace, joy, happiness, and success, just to show us, now wait a minute, this isn't where you're supposed to be your major focus. I'll give you a third reason here, okay? We talked about this already. We just mentioned all these different items that can be distracting, and we've got to be careful. We've got to be ever so cautious. None of them are evil. They're not bad. But if they've pulled you away from being a witness, from sharing the word, from being a disciple, living in a way that is really making an impact in others and helping them to grow, then you're being distracted. You have interruptions in your life that you have to be aware of and be careful of and get them out, even if they've come from friends, even if they're something that you're used to in the past. And so he's going to warn us to be careful of life's interruptions. Number two, Number two, be careful of something else. Beware of living independently. Living independently. What I mean by that is this. is something that is really, really more of a problem, I think, for we American Christians than many around the world. Being independent. Doing things in your own strength. Doing things with your own spirit. Do making your own decisions without seeking the wisdom, the guidance of the Lord. And part of that is our culture. Our culture is really, really strong on making sure that we are independent. That we are, you know, self 
self-reliant individuals. Here, I'll give you a survey that recently came out. I think it was two years ago. That pollsters did a survey among, among National Education Association. This is amongst teachers and educators in America. And they asked them, what are the most important lessons to teach the younger children? And they were focusing basically on kindergarten, first, and second grade. What is the lessons you really want to teach them? Self-reliance and independence was one of the responses, and another one of the responses was sympathy and concern for the others. Which one of those do you think got the higher votes? Yeah, do you want to see the number of teachers who said this is the most important thing to teach? 85% independence, only 5% about that inner social interaction. Now, again, we understand maybe from this context that they're saying, okay, the kids need to have some self-reliance. But when we hear it so much, does it become a problem in our Christian life that we are self-reliant in service? Do you remember what Jesus said just hours before he died? He's talking with them in the upper room, and he says, we sang the song, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He promises to be fruitful, but then he adds, Apart from me, you can do how much? See, we grab the first part of the verses. We like the idea that we're going to bear much fruit, but have you stopped to think and to let this sink in? You can't do it if you're independent of Christ. You cannot bear fruit if you are not a reliant individual that you are seeking his wisdom, his strength, his help. Well, the disciples show us an example of how difficult it can be to live a dependent life. They are going to do independent work. They are going to act. They are going to move. They are going to fill in their time with not only an interruption, but also an independent mindset, an independent attitude. I go fishing is not, this is what God has led me to do. Rather, this is what I'm going to do. And can we make some observations about this? Beware, because areas where we have great experience, areas where we have confidence, are some of the very areas we need to learn to be dependent the most. It is so difficult at times to be dependent upon the Lord in sports when you're a good athlete. If you're like me, it is no problem to be dependent upon the Lord when it comes to sports, because you don't have any skills. But where you have the skills, where you have the experience, it gets hard. For a musician... For somebody who wants to come up and sing, somebody who wants to play, if they have spent years and years in, pro, in developing that skill, it is really easy to all of a sudden get up and do without feeling or seeking a dependence upon the Lord. For somebody who does public speaking, Kelly and I were just talking about before the service, you know, and I asked her if she was nervous to give the testimony. And we were talking about how sometimes public speaking is really, really scary. Some of us over a period of time are still nervous, and part of my nervousness is just the movement. But then as well, there is also a confidence because of doing it after 30-some years of speaking. And so some of the greatest dangers for me is becoming independent in speaking and preaching God's Word. You say, well, that's an impossibility. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, there's a lot of things we shouldn't do, but it can become very easy to study a passage and then to figure out what you, how you're going to present it and go into the pulpit without prayer covering, without a yieldedness. And that's, that's for me, that's a danger. For you, it might be your job. For you, it might be your parenting. For you, it might be your marriage. For you, it might be dealing with family members. For you, it might be another area of your life where you are used to this. You are, you are good at it. You are so good at it 
that you've become independent of the Lord. You don't even bother praying and fasting about it anymore. That it's a part of your skill set that you find you're going for hours or days without covering it in prayer because you're experienced. Well, the disciples are good at fishing. That was their lifestyle. That was their job. So they go without seeking wisdom of the Lord. They're just doing it. That's a part of their failure was becoming too independent. Observation, be careful. In the areas where you're good at, in not being dependent enough. Can I add something to that as well? Like the disciples, we need lessons of dependence over and over again. He has one time earlier given them a miraculous draught of fishes when he called them, Luke chapter 5, when he is showing them how their lifestyle of fishing needs to change and they have to focus on man. He gave them nothing. He didn't allow them to catch fish all night long. He says, Peter, cast out the boat. Peter casts it out, and all of a sudden, the boat is overflowing. They fill two boats. Peter falls down with fear before Jesus Christ, and he says, my Lord and, do you remember what else? My God. Okay, he says, depart from me. They learned a little bit of a lesson there that they need to be dependent. But do you think that the disciples kept every lesson every day after that? Or were they forgetful at times? I mean, how many times did he have to say, talk about love and serving? Because they were forgetful. Guess what? We are too. And sometimes we need repeated lessons. Sometimes we are so used to doing certain things a certain way that God has to put an empty spot. He has to give us a night filled with just no fruit, no peace, no results, not great success by our standards. Why? To teach us dependence to teach us to rely upon him more and more. Can I make another observation? When we work in the flesh, there are disappointing results. There are times that God will bring things into our life and just to make us remember to be grateful for the allowance he gives. Here, here's one. Just something simple. This week, and it's been, it's been on my mind all week, I broke a tooth in the early part of the week. I think I swallowed it when I broke it. Okay? And so I got this broken molar. I called the dentist and he can't see me for two weeks. Okay, You know how when you have a broken tooth, now you, it doesn't hurt, but you, you think about it all the time because now your tongue rubs by it? And it's affecting a little bit how I speak in my comfort. And this week, and I'm preaching this message, and after I study this part, I break my tooth. And it's like, okay, Lord, are there little things like that that help us to remember how many things we take for granted? And how many times we are so independent, we're so figured, we got this under control, it's just going to work, and all of a sudden we get a reminder about something so simple that, hey, don't take the little things for granted. Rely upon the Lord. Be thankful for what the Lord is doing. And God does that with us, and he's doing it with the disciples. He's got them out in this boat. They fish all night. He knows they're there. He comes and finds them, talks to them, and he is showing them, guys, don't be so independent. I'm going to give you nothing so that you admit that you need to make some changes. But boy, is it hard to admit change. It is hard to admit we made a mistake. Uh, there's, a, there's an account, this is a true story out of 1992. Texas Board of Education approved this whole new set of textbooks for all the different school systems throughout Texas. Some of the parents were bothered after a few weeks because they found some blatant errors in the history books. 
in the high school history books, there was 23 of them that this one parents group, this one PTA, got together and said, we found some blatant, blatant problems, and they reported them to the school board and the school district. They included these. They included the thought that Napoleon won the Battle of Waterloo. That's a pretty big mistake, folk. Okay. It included this idea. It included that President Truman dropped the A-bomb on Korea. Okay. That's a mistake historically. It included the idea that General Douglas MacArthur was the leader of the anti-communist movement in the 50s instead of Joe McCartney. That's a pretty major historical mistake. And so the parents were complaining. The response was to, the, to initially was, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> really? So then the parents came to the, to the state school board, uh, uh, board of education and said, please, let's set up a research panel and check out these all these books that you purchased, let's do some more examination. They did further examination. They found out that throughout the different books, this whole set of books, there was 5,200 mistakes. 5,200 mistakes. And so they said, we got to get these books out of the school system. However, the Board of Education's response was this. When they were told, the parents are saying, get rid of them, they're filled with mistakes. And they said, now wait a minute, these are the finest set of textbooks except for the mistakes. Okay? <laughs> Really? These are school books filled with science and geography and historical errors, 5,200 of them, and you're saying they're pretty good except for the mistakes. Really? How silly. How silly for the disciples to go fishing and not admit it's a mistake. This is something that is interrupting our service. This is something that we are doing independent. We've got to change. Okay, you and I have got to be careful of this independence. Independence when you're teaching a Sunday school class. Independence when you're trying to resolve a conflict at home, at work. Independence when you're trying to pay your bills and know which ones to pay. When you're developing a friendship to witness. Independence when you're saying, okay, I'm going to seek somebody to date that I hope sometime might lead into a mate. Independence in the idea of dealing with some personal besetting sin. You're foolish to try to be independent as a believer and trying to do it in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own skill set, you and I need to learn every single day, time and time again, he's the vine, we are the branches, we can bear much fruit, but without him, we can do nothing. We need to remind ourselves of that, okay? Or we'll end up like the disciples in a situation where there's emptiness, where there's independence, that isn't fulfilling. So we, we said beware, beware of this, of these life's interruptions. Beware of living independently. Let's take another one. Be open to the Lord's instructions. From this text, it is very clear that the Lord's going to just ask them, you know, just a few, by the way, can I, can I ask you a question? When Jesus asked them the question in verse 5, is it because he doesn't know what's going on out in the boat? Then why is he asked the question, do you have any fish? Why is he asked them? Why does he ask Adam, where are you, Adam? Did he lose his Adam in the garden? There was only two people in hide-and-go-seek. Okay. Couldn't he find either one of them? It's not, that's not why he asked the question. He's asking the question so that we make the admission, that we make an acknowledgement that this is fruitless, this isn't going anywhere. And so he asks them a question, and then he gives them instructions. I'm telling you, I, 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 these instructions baffle me. I, I know the end of the story, so I know how it turns out. 
But if I were on the boat, and all of a sudden Jesus yells out to me, he says, um, cast the net on the right side of the ship. Okay, here's my ship. I got the nets on my left. You're right. I got my nets over here. And he says, put the nets over here. My thought is going to be, wait a minute, um, that's only 10 feet. What difference does it make? Okay, observation number one about this is this. Oftentimes, the Lord gives us instruction. He gives us some challenge. He gives us some, some guidance. It doesn't always happen right at church. God can use situations in our life to teach us some of the big lessons. He can use something at school, at work, at home. He can use driving. Oh, I'll tell you some of the biggest lessons I learned about me and God was by God giving us kids. Okay, those to me were, when our kids were in our, in our home and the kids joined, it was like, wow, this is how God must feel. This is how God must, it was just the eye-opening life experience. And I think this is true from this story, that God often speaks to us in the middle of those everyday things. Now, I don't believe that he speaks in, a, you know, in this you know, auditory way, this audible way that all of a sudden we hear his voice. It's rather this way. When we take the word of God, this is the importance of everyday reading your Bible. We take the word of God, we read the word of God, all of a sudden we get to wherever we're going. We go to school, we go to work, and all of a sudden those verses come back to mind that remind us about something that we've read in a situation that we find ourselves in. All of a sudden, God may point out something that I need to address in my life. How? Okay? Not just in my Bible reading, but he's talked about Bible reading and holy life. And all of a sudden, in my actions and interactions with Deb or with others, it comes to mind, oh, wait a minute, that's something I need to work on. He might do that in the idea of, he's, I read about his, the idea of praying. And all of a sudden, through the day, through an everyday's event, all of a sudden, there's an answer to prayer. Something that's so simple. But it reminds me, he's a prayer answering God. All of a sudden, when, when I read the Bible and talk about patience, an everyday situation occurs that helps me to say, okay, I need to work on patience. Like my car breaks down. Okay, those can be teachable moments that God can use. That it's not just he speaks to me at church, but he's trying to use these other events to work in my heart to, to help me to become a thankful person. And so I want to be open to the Lord's instructions. I want to be open to the Lord throughout the day, not just on Sunday when we're sitting in church. I want to be open to the, Lord's, the Lord bringing things to mind, pointing things out at school, at work, at play, whatever it may be. When, I'm, when Deb and I are dealing with something or even dealing with other people, God can bring to our mind, bring to our thoughts. He can, he can direct. He can guide. He can point out things in my life. So be open. By that, what I mean is just at any moment, at any time, be open to the Lord's instructions, which often these instructions demand we do something out of the ordinary or not always logical. This is out of the ordinary. Cast your net to the right side of the boat because as I said, Why? What difference is 10 feet going to make? Here, here's, here's my thinking, okay? Now, I, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching Tony with our grandson, and I'm noticing a tendency in our grandson that when you say something to him, all he says, wait, wait, I have an idea, okay? And he, he has something he wants to modify and just change the rules of the game. I don't know where he got that from. Um, but change the rules of the game, or he has a different twist to it. Okay, but it's always, wait a minute, what about, I read this passage, and I know what I would do. I would say, wait a minute, Jesus, 
if you can make fish on this side of the boat, why can't you make them over here? What difference does this, does this, you know? And by the way, we do things and chores kind of out of habit. Well, for instance, watching some of you doing the shoveling of the mulch yesterday. Some of you shovel like this all the time. Or you have a pattern. You're doing it a certain way. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, do it the other way. And you're, really? You're going to hold the shovel backwards? We get so used to doing stuff a certain way. Here they are in the boat. They probably got used to this idea of swinging the nets out with their strong arm, their right arm, a certain way. Now he's saying, do it backwards. It's, it's like this, doing something totally backwards. I can tie a tie without a mirror. Okay, you might look and question, but I can tie a tie without a mirror. I cannot tie a tie on somebody else when I'm facing them. I can do it with just talking to you. I can tie this thing and be done with it. But if I have to tie a tie on somebody else, it doesn't work. It's totally backwards. For me to tie a tie for my boys, I had to put it on, tie it, and then take it off and put it on them. Or I had to stand behind them to be in that same format. Does that make sense? Okay, you get to, you're just used to something. These guys are probably used to, this is the way we do it. We always go to this side. We always do it. Cast your nets, do something totally different. Can you imagine sitting in a different seat and God speaking to me when I don't sit in a normal seat in church? Can you imagine taking a different route home? Can you imagine setting the table different? I mean, you are such creatures of habits. When you get dressed, the vast majority of us get dressed with the socks and the underwear and different things in the same sequence. We're so habitual. And Jesus is saying, do it to something totally different. Something you're not used to. Well, I mean, can you imagine building a church without doing door-to-door calling? And have doing this ministry and that. Can you imagine us doing a church service on a Sunday morning without starting with meditation, memory time, three songs, the offertory, two more songs, and the message? If we change it up, some are going to go, that's what he's doing to them. He's saying, do it a little bit different. And it's illogical. There's not any real sense to it. And yet, he says, do it different. I, I was talking to Tom Latham the other day. He called, and we had a conversation last Saturday night. And he's, he made a comment. He's, he was saying about how I think things should be done to build the church, and God has a different idea. He said, I have gone out since the first year and handed out somewhere like 10,000 tracts on street evangelism. He said, not a single person has come to the church. Not a one. He said there was a leak that developed in the roof of the church. I called the repairman who comes, repairs it. I talked to him for a few minutes. Every Sunday, he shows up for church now. He got saved. His wife has gotten saved. It was totally different than what, the way I think evangelism should be done. Evangelism, Tom says, in my mind, is giving out tracts, doing that. God's evangelism put a hole in my roof. But it worked. So for the disciples, here they are, they're in the boat, and they, it's this side of the boat, it's this the way we work, and Jesus says, throw it on the other side of the boat, something that's totally different, and all of a sudden, what do they get? When they do exactly what he says, without saying, wait a minute, I have a better idea. When they do what he says, after they fished all night, they're not planning on fishing anymore, they haven't said not, they, they have said no fish, they didn't say not yet, they're done. And he says, cast it on this side. They don't know who he is, but they obey and they get the special surprise. 
For Easter, we did one of those things. We just opted to do something for the grandkids since they were in the house. Now we wanted to get them out of the house. You know, there was all the kids there. Let's do something. Let's do an Easter egg hunt. And our big thing was not only the egg, but we told them there are prizes inside. I didn't tell them they'd rot out their teeth. Okay, we didn't tell them that what these little toys were, they'd be break within minutes. It was the thrill of the special prize inside. Special prize inside of obedience. It was amazing for the disciples. Just do what I say. It doesn't make sense. It goes contrary to what you normally do. And they get all these fish. All these fish that he, years later, remembers the number of the fish. The number is remembered. That's that's amazing. John has this down pat. It is doing what God says, sometimes the illogical, unexpected, and the great results. Remember the story of Naaman, the leper? God says, go wash yourself through the prophet. Go wash yourself in the River Jordan. And his response is, why the River Jordan? We got better rivers back home. You know, why should I use the swati? I can go at home and use my private pool. It's a much cleaner thing. And so Naaman, he does what God says. And God said, not only dip yourself in the Jordan River, but do it seven times. Why? We don't know. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It, it always works with seven. No, we don't know that. But what a surprise. One, two, three, bloop, 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 four, five, six, bloop, bloop, bloop. Seven comes up, he's cleansed. Why? Obedience brings the, the special surprise behind the door of obedience. The opposite? Do you remember the story of the king that's dealing with the same prophet, prophet Elisha, that Joash is told, okay, take that, that group of arrows in your hand that you're going to go out to battle against the Syrians. Take a group of arrows and knock them on the floor. The idea is knock them really, really hard. And he just goes three times. The prophet gets really upset and says, what are you doing? I told you to really knock it down. Why didn't you hit it until you really a lot so that they broke? You know, why was that? You were supposed to really take advantage of this and hit it hard because that's what God was going to do to the Syrians through you. You're just going to beat them three times and get them out of the country, but they won't be crushed. Why? He didn't obey something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. The prophet said, hit him, hit him hard on the ground. He just, three times obedience, even if it doesn't make sense, when we do it, I'll I'll give you one that doesn't make any sense to me. Tithing. If I give God 10%, I'm going to have more. Tell that to a financial class. Okay? Sell that one. But does it work? That's what he says. As we give, he does what? He gives back to us. I'm supposed to forgive the people who hit me. In fact, I'm supposed to do what? And God's going to use that. I'm suppo- when somebody does me wrong, I'm supposed to shower them with grace and compassion, and it'll make a difference. That doesn't fly with most of us. That's contrary to what we're used to. If somebody, growing up, remember, if you hit me, I hit back and harder so you can't get up and hit me again. Okay, that's the way we think. And God's word time and time again. He gives us commands and those commands when we obey, 
When we obey, he gives us everything we need, everything we're seeking without our contributions. Did you catch the passage that said when they got to shore, what did they find? Jesus has the meal already prepared for them. They see the fire down in verse 9. They see the fire of coals and the fish already there and the bread. Wait a minute. Where did Jesus get the fish? They're still bringing the net up on shore. But Jesus already has bread and fish prepared for them. All that they need. And plus he's giving them more in the nets. When we obey. When we listen. He gives us more than we need. He gives us more. It is an amazing God we serve. If we learn not to be distracted by the interruptions, if we learn don't, to, don't live independently, if we learn follow the Lord's instructions, it is so, so beneficial. Like in these guys, you can just look and say, even if you tried it before, listen to the Lord. Even if it's uncomfortable, listen to the Lord. Even if it could be done another way, listen to the Lord. Even if others are with you, and you say, God tells me to do it this way. Just do what God says. And you're raising your kids, dealing with issues, handling your finances. God will bless you for it. Let me give you one last thought. Be grateful for the Lord's indulgences, the Lord's pampering, the Lord's grace that he shows to you. Here in this passage, the, uh, the Lord is going to be so gracious to them. Now, we wouldn't think he should be gracious to these guys. I mean, we would look and say they will never amount to anything. Well, that's been said about a number of people. There was a fellow, now I'll give you the year, 1874. There was a fellow that when he was in school, the comment that was made about him was that he shows a great, he was in elementary age, he shows a great lack of success in his class. He'll never amount to anything. And so his teachers were a little bit wrong about the individual. Okay, that he did. But he at first didn't show such great ability. Atlantic Monthly took a whole ream of paper that had poetry on it. They wrote back to the fellow who submitted it and said, our magazine has no room for your vigorous verse. It's not that good. Well, over the years, he was proven to be one of the greatest American poets. But at first, it wasn't seen or discovered. Yeah, the same thing, 1905 in Berlin. They'd said about a fellow who submitted for his PhD a whole paper, and they said your material is irrelevant, it is fanciful. It was Einstein's theory of relativity that was at first scoffed. I think, I think most of us, and most people at that time, when they look at the disciples, initially they'd say, these guys aren't going to amount to much. Probably the same thing that people say about us. You're not going to amount to much. You aren't going to do much for God. And Jesus comes along and he's going to indulge us. He's going to be patient with us. He's going to put up with us. He's going to keep on teaching us like he did the disciples. He sits down with a meal. And understand if you prepare a meal for somebody and you serve them, which look in verses 9 and 10. He serves them. He prepares them. This is a sign of honor towards these fellows. Honor towards people who have kind of been ignoring you that didn't do what you... He honors them. He honors them by serving and preparing. And then the next paragraph, he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I really like you a lot. Peter, do you love me? I really like you a lot. Peter, do you really like me? I really, really like you. But he says to him three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend the flock. The Lord indulges those of us who don't look so great, but if we learn 
If we learn that we are not to live an interrupted life, if we are not an individual who's living independent, if we are following the Lord's instructions, the Lord will use us, He will bless us, He will take those of us with the least of skills, and He will do some phenomenal things. Be grateful for the Lord's indulgence. Be grateful for how the Lord just shows mercy to you time and time again. We sang at the end of the service, we sang, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. The mercies of God are renewed. Aren't you grateful they are? Aren't you glad? You and I need to be grateful to the Lord for all that he has done. I tell you what, you know, the toys that we see, some of those that amaze me are those transformers. How you can take and move it from one device to another device. God is making you into a transformer. He is making and molding you into something that doesn't probably, by the world's view, doesn't look that phenomenal, but it is going to be something he can greatly use. Our attitude has to be, we'll just listen to what he says. We'll do to what he says. You've heard the story. Paderewski's doing the Polish concert pianist, is doing a concert. He's behind stage. People are gathering in. The piano's here. And he's doing it for a relief concert. And all of a sudden, the people are gathering. And a woman came who's got a 10-year-old boy who's taking piano lessons. She's thinking, if he hears this great concert pianist, it'll stir him into really being serious about his piano lessons. And so she's talking. And all of a sudden, she hears people gasping and saying, what's that kid doing up there? She turns, and her son had gotten out of his seat while she was talking to others. And he's up there, and he starts playing. And the story goes, where there's twinkle, twinkle, little star chopsticks that's told both ways. And so the little boy is playing and people are like, get that kid off there. What's he th- He's touching the piano that Paderewski is going to do. Paderewski comes out and he steps behind the boy and he whispers, keep going, keep going. And he fills in all that simple little tune with all kinds of music. And throughout that time, he just keep, keep on going, son, keep on going. Isn't the Lord the concert pianist in your life? You and I can only do chopsticks. But if we just let him guide and direct and fill in, it is going to be a fruitful life. It is going to be a fabulous life. But we have to make sure we're listening to his instructions, not living independent, and not getting distracted with life's interruptions. So, Father, help us. Help us to live out these simple truths to the best of our abilities. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great evening. Great week. Thanks.